Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, I haven't made any money in the past three to five years. Am I doing anything wrong? What's the next Amazon? Is it important to have liquid investments? Tell me more about today's cashless society. Plus, an interview with pediatric dentist, Dr. Ashla Martin. And now, here's Philip. We are back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And so today, um, we are having a, a guest, a business owner. Uh, she owns a dental practice out in Cedar Hill, Texas, Dr. Ashla Martin. She's a pediatric dentist. Uh, hey, Dr. Martin, go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody today, if you don't mind. Hello. I am so excited to be here today, and I really thank you for the invite my office is Kids at Heart Pediatric Dentistry, and I am a board-certified pediatric dentist. I always like to distinguish between general dentistry because I was a general dentist, and now as a specialist, I have particular training for special needs, sedation, and a host of other ideas and behavior management tools for kids. Okay. So, you know what, and, and, and this is a side note question that I knew I was going to have, but I've always wondered, because you, you go do some extra school for uh, specialty for pediatric dentistry, but but how does it work for the, um, you know, f- is, it, is it more helping you to build more confidence with your clients and or does it allow you to do more procedures and make more money? Like, what's the benefit of getting the extra, and this is specifically for children, right, because I, I think I... I understand the obvious one for like oral surgeons, but to become a pediatric dentist, because there are some general dentists that do work with kids, but you're a specialist. So what is the, you know, what was the rationale for getting the the, the specialty? So as a general dentist, you complete four years of generalized training in all fields of dentistry. I practiced general dentistry for four years and I really loved seeing kids. It was always my end goal to become a pediatric dentist. And in your pediatric dental residency, which can range from two to three years, and I completed two years of pediatric training and then one additional year of hospital training. So I have three additional years beyond a general dentist in sedation, hospital dentistry, also behavior management. All pediatric dentists are also trained to place braces. So I am in a sense, and also an orthodontist, but I choose to still refer to an orthodontist. And I reached a point in my general dentistry practice where I wanted to sedate kids. And in order to sedate, sedate kids properly, you should always complete a residency. And as mm-hmm. I mentioned, my training was two years of hospital training, training in sedation. And oftentimes when you see untoward events, it possibly may be a, gen- a general dentist's office who has, who may not have had the training in sedation as a pediatric dentist. And I look back now at 
what I knew as a general dentist, and I know so much more about medically compromised kids, and that is a result of completing the hospital training. So I reached a point in my career where I wanted to treat kids, but I wanted to be able to provide the best care for children. And I always like to use the analogy of pediatric dentists are like pediatrician of teeth. You, most people take their child to a pediatrician, and it's a similar concept with a pediatric dentist. Also, board certification is uh, the highest level of training that you can obtain. So, in a sense, I know a lot more about childhood dentistry. Got it. Got it. Now, that makes complete sense, right? It's, another, another, it's kind of like, you know, most people are dealing with regular financial advisors that sell, that sell products and, um, and aren't fiduciaries, but fiduciaries is a higher, land, higher level of, um, of uh, standard and expertise. And it's, it's, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but it's like something in the less than 10% of advisors or fiduciaries like myself. So I get it. I understand. For your, for your narrow specialty, right? Because I don't, I don't want to know. Correct. Right. Makes sense. Yes, and uh, yes, and and for instance, my dental school class had eighty students. My pediatric class had four students, like only four kids out of a ho- of several applicants are accepted. So, also specialty programs are are very competitive programs to apply for, and the the number of students ranges ranges from one student to seven. Versus dental school classes can range from 50 students to 300 plus students for okay. general dentistry. So, so, so what, what made you decide to go into dentistry, right? Because it, it would seem to me, and you know, I, I know everything's weird to everybody else. I'm like, who, you know, who says, hey, I want to like work on teeth, right? I'm grateful. I'm grateful for dentists because I don't yes. know anything about teeth. But when did you decide I wanted to like spend a lot of time looking at people's teeth and fixing it? Or cleaning it or whatever. So I would, yes, and so I think it takes a it takes a special person to be a financial advisor. It takes a special person to be a podiatrist, and definitely a special person to be a, a dentist. So I've always loved math and science, and I explored a few careers prior to selecting dentistry. I completed a, an engineering program at Grambling, and I knew that engineering was not for me. I also completed a summer program in medicine at Rice and Baylor, and I shadowed a physician because I always thought I wanted to be a a medical doctor when I grew up. And after shadowing and participating in that program, I determined that, oh, I don't think I really want to do this either. So it is very important, of course, to explore different fields. And my mother actually started going to a new dentist and she was actually she was an african-american dentist and she took me under her wing and as a female i just looked up to her and i said one day i would like to be just like her and i followed in her footsteps i Mm. attended the same university that she attended and if i ever had any questions while i was in college i looked up to her and then later i had another mentor who I looked up to dearly, who was a pediatric dentist. And everyone said that she had the patience of Job with her patients. And <laughs> I would go in and I just, I said, when I grow up, I want to be as patient with children 
as she is because oftentimes kids will come into the dentist and they're, they cry before they even go to the back, just the fear of the unknown. Also, kids oftentimes have a lot of anxiety from their, their parents' anxiety because let's face it, who likes to go to the dentist? <laughs> and so that fear is transmitted to children and oftentimes parents and adults don't think, think of that. But sometimes the first thing that I hear is, I, I'm terrified of the dentist and this is coming from mom or dad. <laughs> so little Johnny is sitting there listening to this. So what do you think little Johnny is going to think? I'm terrified of the dentist. So I would see that my pediatric dentist mentor changed that crying child into a smiling child who left and was so excited that they were asking mom or dad, when are we coming back here? (laughs) And just to see her work, what I would call pediatric dental magic. I I said, when I grow up, I want to be a magician just like that lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good story. You know, I actually don't have a problem. My mom got us going to the dentist relatively early and it became, um, you know, just a habit. Only part I don't like, I just hate when y'all have to like, what is it, take x-rays of our teeth? Because I have like a small mouth and that thing always makes me gag. You know what I mean? What's that thing you put in there where you have to... The sensor or the, the x-ray yeah, that we I, I that we that use. Thing. Yeah. It's, it's... Yes. But you're in the very, you're in a very small percentage of the population. Most people do not like going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... So, so you got into dental practice. I'm, I'm assuming you worked somewhere for a few years. When did you decide, I want to start my own business? I practiced dentistry for 10 years prior to opening my own business. And I, I honestly, the 10 years had passed by so quickly that when I got ready to go to my 10-year reunion, I realized that it was always my dream to open my own practice. And I had worked as an associate at other offices for 10 years. And that 10-year mark just opened my eyes to, okay, let me reevaluate where I am in life. What are my goals? Where am I as far as obtaining my 10-year goals? And so one of them was to open a practice. At the time, I lived in Houston, and I selected a location, and at the last minute, Something just said, okay, Houston is not home. And I spontaneously moved to Dallas and I I fell in love with it. And I decided to open a practice here. And I worked with the same company that had helped me negotiate a contract in Houston. And so as I look back at at Houston versus where the area that I located or relocated to rather, I love Cedar Hill. I love this community. And I wanted to be a part of the community. I didn't want to just open a pediatric dental office and just be another dentist. So I'm very passionate about outreach, and I just try to help out in the community where I, wherever I can. Look, I know, I know, I know how you're gonna answer this question because you're a you're a you're a politician. I can already tell you're a politician. <laughs> well, I've never been told that before. Well, the way the way you answered multiple questions when I when I asked you about. You know the difference between your extra training. You basically could have just said, 
Those don't just don't they don't know what they're doing. They shouldn't be doing that. Look, look, look. I read between the lines, but look. So, so, um, what do you like better? I, I know how you're gonna answer it, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask it anyway. What do you like better, Houston or Dallas, as a city? Like, out- so I am more of a I'm more family oriented. So I like Dallas more, but Houston is definitely more diverse, and the, I do think that there are more more activities to be involved in, but Dallas actually suits me better. So, and it's also, it's closer to home because as you know, I'm from Louisiana and it's like a three hour drive home. And it's, it's a lot better of a drive from Houston versus Houston rather. So you're from North North Louisiana then? Yes. Okay. Got it. All my folks are from South. So, um, it's, um, yeah. So no, I, I figured you're gonna answer that way, because because you're a politician. Have you ever thought about side note? Have you ever thought about politics? Are you gonna run for city council in Cedar Hill? <laughs> you should. You no, are, I haven't thought about politics. I I I don't see a future for me in politics. Mm. But I, ha- I do have to have to clear my name on general dentistry. So I did practice as a general dentist, as I mentioned as I've mentioned before for four years. General dentists are definitely necessary because. Honestly, there aren't enough pediatric dentists to probably serve all of the children and provide dental care to as the the percentage of children that need dental care. So I de- general dentists are definitely necessary, but I feel as a specialist, it is my my goal to to educate people about the difference between a pe- the difference in a pediatric dentist and a general dentist because I hear from people of all walks of life every day, I didn't know that there was a such thing as a pediatric dentist. And so I think that there's a huge gap in education of of the vast majority of the population saying that they don't even know that we exist. So that is one of my goals and aspirations to at least let, let parents know that there is a specialist just for your child. Yeah, yeah, no. But yeah. we appreciate General Dennis. They are my number one referral sources, and so I love General Dennis, and they are very necessary to treat children. Yeah, no. I, I, listen, listen. <laughs> I, I'll be your, um, I'll be your, uh, your, your, your finance fundraising chair when you run. When. You... <laughs> no, no. For real, I, I get it. I get it. I understand. I know you're not saying they're not needed. Um. So, um. So next question is, when you set up your practice, what were some of the things that you did to prepare to open up? Because you have like a nice setup. I remember your mom taking me in the chamber on the tour, um, and it's, it's it's a nice setup. So um, uh, what were some things that you learned to prepare to get, you know, set up so well? And then what are some things that you wish you would have known, you know, now that you've learned that you wish you'd have learned before? So... Over those 10 years of practicing, I'm a big journaler, and I know you've heard this story before. I jotted ideas down in journals, and I kept those journals, and I I still have them. And I wrote down ideas regarding color schemes, ideas regarding the layout of my practice, ideas regarding how I was going to market my practice, one of those things was I wanted to have a 
Volkswagen Beetle. And so right before I opened the, my practice, I, I was looking through my notebook and I said, oh, I said that I was going to purchase a Volkswagen. And I even had had a, a, a sketch of how I wanted that vehicle to look. And I even put that into play. So I, as you even as many of you may have seen my my little marketing dune buggy, as some people call it, the little yellow bug with hearts and teeth on it. I had all of these ideas in a notebook. Mm. And after that 10-year journey, I just started putting those ideas into action. And I even had different sketches and pages of names for my practice. So it is said, it, to try to make things short, which I guess I can't since I'm a politician, I, I put all of those ideas that I had in my journal into play. And... I didn't have a, a background in business and running and operating a business is, I would just, I would say probably 100 times harder than being a dentist or being a healthcare professional because dental school teaches you everything that you need to know about being a dentist. You know, we all can be awesome dentists. We know the clinical aspect. But we're not taught anything about business. So opening a, opening this office has been the, a very challenging a challenging task for me because I didn't have any background in business. So there has been a lot of trial and error. And initially, I signed up for any anyone who stopped by the office who said, well, do you want to market with us? I said yes. Because I was just anxious to succeed and I wanted my business to grow. And I looked back and I wasted so much money on marketing. I even had an ad on one of the grocery baskets over at Kroger. And I thought that was a great idea. Someone even asked me about it. And I encouraged them to advertise at Kroger because I was just excited about everything. I wanted to market. I wanted my, my practice to grow. So after about a year, I had to take a, a step back and evaluate my return on, on all of my investments. And I realized that I had spent an astronomical amount on marketing that I was not receiving any profit or any gain on. So that was probably one of the, the biggest mistakes that I made. And also, I did want my office to look a certain way, so I purchased all new equipment. I went with an all new, a new space, which of course was a lot more expensive than a build out at an existing space. And I still, I ran into a lot of the same problems that you would particularly have with an older space. Like I've had a roof that leaks, I've had plumbing concerns. And so I thought that I was in control and that I could I could control how, see, I could make sure that nothing wrong happened in my business. But I realized that that wasn't the, the case. And I really just had to take a, a look back and a step back, rather. And I said, okay, slow down, slow down, Dr. Martin, <laughs> slow down. And I really, I really began growing stronger in my faith. I started, I started praying and I started meditating more, which I've always had that in my life, but I realized, okay, 
and I referred to myself as Ashla. I was like, okay, Ashla, you are not in control. Like you need to take this one step at a time. You need to make better business decisions. And so I feel like right now that's where I am. And it was, a, it was a process. Like I had to reevaluate things because I just wanted to just go, go, go. And I realized I couldn't control it. I realized that I, I can't make anyone come to my office. You know, that's, that's, you know, that has to be a, just a personal decision. But I thought with the best marketing, everyone would bring their child here. But I, as I, as I mentioned, I just, I took a step back and was more diligent and making a decision after careful thought. Okay. No, that's, that was, that was, that was real life. It's, business is funny. Business makes you, um, you know, really develop a strong mindset. It's, I, I, I'm able yeah. to, I, I look at myself and I'm like, you know, I'll go through stressful situations and my wife, my wife will be like, oh man, you know, I, uh, most of them I don't even tell her about, but when we do talk about it, she'll be like, you know, I'm, I'm worried about you. How are you dealing with it? Or people will be like, are you going to burn out? I'm like, well, I mean, since I was 21, really since I was 20, um, I've been running the business. Like I've never had a salary. I was like, so you just develop muscles where you just realize all you can do is what you can do. And then things are going to work out and, you know, or they won't. And if they, you know, yeah. and if they don't, <laughs> then whatever, you know, it is what it is. So, um, so true. Yeah. And I, and I, as a business owner now, I do like, I work 100 times harder than I did before. And when I look back at my salary as an associate, like I made a lot more as as an associate, but I am very passionate about owning a business and operating it according to the the goals that I have set. And so occasionally I would say, now why am I working harder now and and paying myself less? Mm-hmm. But I think it just takes a it takes a special person to to be a business owner, and everyone thinks, oh. They have, just because you may have these uh, certain titles, they think, oh, you're just loaded in money. But they have to understand that business owners are really, at the end of the day, most of us are just passionate about what we do, and mm-hmm. we do it because we love it. Well, and you, and you get and you get a lot of it's a lot, it's a long term play, right? You get a lot of a lot of back end benefits, right? You know, it's just it's yes. it's that's you you up you put a whole lot of in on the front end, and and if you're successful, you know. 10 years from now and through the rest of your life, you get a bigger and bigger and bigger reward. Right. But you know, that, 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 that first 10 That's... years is, is brutal. Yes. Yes. And I'm still in the brutal phases, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I'm in year three. And I, I must, it, they, it, it's, it's mentioned that the first three years are the brutal years for dentistry. And I'm thinking, okay, I just stepped into year four. I'm, I'm ready for this. Brutality to go away. <laughs> if I can, which uh, of course is not brutality, but I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the the harvest. <laughs> yep, yep. Have, 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 um, side note: Have you have you found Facebook ads to um, work out well for you? I I did not. I spent quite a bit of money on Facebook ads. And I did not see a return on the investment, so I no longer do any Facebook advertising. What's your What's your best marketing source that that, that you found so far? Honestly, word of mouth. 
and being patient. Mm-hmm. But from a, a with the a, a financial marketing, I I feel as though this the area in Cedar Hill still look still looks at magazines. So I know I, we had this discussion once before, but I've advertised in some local magazines, and I've actually received a lot of hmm. patience from that. And also the the Volkswagen has been a great marketing source. That is and a big one. That's, a, that's, a, that's how I remember you. And I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there go Dr. Martin. And yes, and that one of the things I had in my journal was, okay, according to marketing or based on business principles, which I, I learned my own business techniques with Google searches. Like I, and then I completed um, Goldman Sachs training. So way before that, I would just do Google searches late at night, reading up on business strategy. So I, in a sense, I made my own little MBA program. And so one of the things that I saw was repetition is key. So I said, how can I make sure that people are constantly seeing my brand and nothing other than having a, a, a mobile advertisement vehicle that is catchy. And even I love riding in that car because even if people don't come to the office, peer, um, adults wave at me when I'm in that car, little babies point to their mom and, you know, they smile and, I call. I later I added to the vehicle the smile mobile because when people see the car they just smile mm-hmm. and so I feel even if even if I'm not a child's pediatric dentist if I can make them smile I you know I haven't I haven't lost anything you know I've only gained uh, someone may have been having a bad day and when they see the the car they get excited. So mm-hmm. I like, I love driving that car. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I see you and your team, y'all are out and about doing a lot like, in the community. You go to, I think, uh, what is it called? Star, not stars games. You go to the wings games. Y'all are at everything that Cedar Hill does. So, um, you know, and, I, and I'm assuming that stuff helps too. I know it helps me. Yes. Yes. So I, I am, I'm thankful to be the, official dentist of the Dallas Wings. And I stumbled upon that opportunity because I was out in the community networking. I was actually working and I was at a, a complimentary health fair. I was just there educating the community on brushing, brushing or proper oral hygiene, brushing, flossing, and also passing out complimentary toothbrushes. And I met one of the outreach managers for the Dallas Wings. Just and I, I met her in Cedar Hill. I was at a I was at a, a middle school. No, I was at an elementary school, and I had a table set up talking about brushing teeth, and and I met her. And I look back and I'm like, I'm so thankful that I was at that outreach event because I never would have met her. I never would have had that opportunity if I wouldn't have been out in the community. Mm-hmm. So last question, when, when should people start thinking about taking their uh, kids to the dentist? Like what, you know, what age? Maybe you can give me a range, you know, because I know, I know you're a politician and you got to give a range. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, no, I, I, actually have, I actually have one answer for that. Okay, perfect. By age one. By age, age one. One, really? Wow, okay, and you got to explain that. Age one. 
And and I see I was going to wait for you to ask me to explain it too. I was trying to I was going to give a one word answer, but age one because I have seen cavities as young as seven months, and I see at least once a, I see at least one baby a week with cavities. And I when I say baby, I mean baby baby, like someone under age one with cavities. And every you may you may think you know. Starting dental visits at age one sounds so shocking, and it sounds like, oh, I just don't need to take my child to the dentist at age one. There could be nothing going on at age one, but that's totally not the case. Cavities are and dental caries is one of the most preventable childhood illnesses that is is that we're still seeing an increasing rate of. And so that is why it's encouraged to start dental ages, dental visits no later than the first birthday, because with our diet increasing in sugar mm-hmm. and increasing in exposure to food, kids are getting cavities before age one. And so it's so important to go to a dentist by age one so that you can be educated on prevention techniques on brushing, because it is recommended to start brushing a child's teeth at the site of the first tooth. And oftentimes, brushing may not start until much later, like around age two or age three, when there are several teeth. So at the site of the first tooth, a, a fluoridated toothpaste should be used. And the one of the, the main concerns is that when a child gets cavities at an early age, we have to determine how will we manage it because children typically will not sit, sit in a dental chair until about age three. So oftentimes kids are having to be sedated. They're also having to be put under general anesthesia and that's for their protection because we do work with a lot of sharp instruments and we have to make sure that kids are safe. And so it has been proven that if children are put under general anesthesia, Two times prior to age three, it affects their development significantly. And so by starting those dental visits early on, it, we can hopefully prevent dental caries because it is, a, it is a, a disease that is totally preventable. And so, and I, as, as, as a pediatric dentist, I, sometimes I feel a little bit sad when I have to Tell a parent who's bringing their child for the first time at age three, your child has cavities. And, you know, just to see the look on a parent's face of, oh, my gosh, I thought I was doing everything that I needed to. But oftentimes that's not the case because that dental knowledge is not there because the dental visits have started too late. Mm. And so at that time, we have to consider, oh, uh, you know, we we will need to sedate your child. And so, of course, there are concerns with sedation. And so we want to start those dental visits early. And the baby visits include brushing a child's toothpaste. I'm sorry, brushing a child's teeth with toothpaste and also discussing diet because also breastfeeding uh, can cause cavities oh, also. Oh, really? I, th- I, th- I, th- I thought it was them, uh, them parents be giving them juices. <laughs> they be giving them... Well, I, 
Well, juice is the number one culprit, but breastfeeding alone cannot cause cavities. Mm-hmm. But when table food is introduced mm. and breast and prolonged nursing is is still going on, kids can actually obtain cavities on their on front teeth from nursing late you know, from multiple multiple nighttime feedings um, can actually cause cavities and. So you will see you will see a lot of literature that says breastfeeding can't cause cavities. So true, honestly, it can't. But prolonged nursing beyond 18 months can cause cavities because of the sugary food that the child is eating. So it just makes it adhere to the front teeth. But juice and sippy cups are <laughs> one of the other, one of the other culprits of of cavities early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> So, and also increased exposure to food. If a child is more of a grazer, if they are eating four, if they're eating six times a day, every time that you expose your mouth to something other than than water, which of course water is the only thing that doesn't cause cavities, then you're increasing that exposure to to, to obtaining cavities. Well, well, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Can you let everybody know where they can um, reach you on social media or just or wherever you would prefer them to um, check you out and learn more about uh, your business and you and your okay. team? So the office hours are Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we are on Facebook and you can look us up, Kids at Heart Pediatric Dentistry. And the office is located in Cedar Hill. And then we're also on Instagram. So you can check out our Instagram page. And you can always email us at info at kidsatheartdentist.com. And our website is www.kidsatheartdentist.com. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Philip, for having me today. My pleasure. All right. First question. Philip, I haven't made any money in the past three to five years. Am I doing anything wrong? This is actually a question I get a lot. And I got it a lot when I first got into business in, in 07. The folks that started investing in 2006, 7, 8 didn't make money for you know a few years because of the timing, getting at the end of a, of a market cycle. And then folks that started investing recently around 15, 16 17, because of what's happening in the market, they haven't made money uh, over a few years, right? And so, and these are people that, I'm not talking about my clients, I'm talking about just people in general who are investing. If you started investing around those periods of time with, with any portfolio, it's very likely been super ugly because of the market cycle. And so the specific person who asked me this question, I had looked at their portfolio and they were well diversified. They had low cost funds. The strategy was aligned with their financial plan, long-term goals. So I was like, no, you're doing thing wrong. It was, it was just timing, right? When thing you got to understand about investing is investing is a lot like, you know, weight loss or a good business strategy. It takes time, right? And But early on, you may not get the results that you want because you, you, you can't control the outcome, right? In business, you can cold call, you can pass business cards around, you can advertise, you can market, but most business owners, it's going to really take 10 years for you to make any real money, right? You're going to be putting in, putting in, working, working, working. And sure, there are some that take off and make money in year one, but that's a rarity 
it just takes a little bit of time. You got to think about investing the same way. In investing, you when you especially when you're adding money every single month, right? It just takes time to get that account big and to let compound interest work and to put the odds in your favor. Because if you if you look at the statistics of the market, and I looked at it, you know, once before. So these are like summary numbers. What's the odds of the stock market being positive over a year time frame, right? And the the odds are something like 70% of the time the market is positive over the course uh, of the year. Actually, you know what? I'm going to pull it up right now. Pull up the article I wrote. Uh, I wrote this back a couple of years ago. So these numbers are going to be outdated, but this will give you, yeah, it looked at the S&P 500, looked at one-year periods, five-year periods, 10-year periods, 15-year periods, 20-year periods, and 25-year periods between January 1st, 1926, and the present year when I wrote this, which was 2018 or 2019, but basically the odds of making money over the course of a year is about 68%, so I mean 30% of the time you lost money. Over a three-year period, about 80%. Over a 10-year period, 87% chance of making money, right? Let me backtrack. Three-year period was 79% of making money uh, chance. 10-year, 87% chance of making money. 15 years, 94% chance of making money. 20 years, 96% chance of making money. And 25 years, 100% of chance of making money. This is, again, S&P 500 looking at the rolling years. So, I mean, over the whole period of time, it, 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 we calculate the odds of making money over that period of time. Or, you know, so anyway, I don't want to go nerd on you. But the, the, the point is, the longer you're in the market, the bigger the odds are of you making money. And so there's sometimes when you're in that three-year period of time where you're part of the 20, 20%, right? It didn't say 100% part of the 20%, but you got to have that long-term waiting game because over time, the market has made plenty of patient people rich. And it's also hurt and taken money or gave below average money to people who were short term and what they're trying to do from the market standpoint. And I'm going to combine this question with another question that I got to because it's kind of related, right? So I had a guy that I was speaking to over the phone and this is literally what he told me. I have a friend who has a friend who knows a guy who had a stockbroker who turned $100,000 into $5 million in three weeks this year. Are you aware of those types of strategies? And I was, you know, I tried to laugh, right? Because this is not funny. It was, it was a real question. And so I was like, I said, hey, listen, you probably had, you probably heard of people that won a lot of money in Vegas, right? He was like, yeah. I said, that's probably because the majority of people who went to, like, we all know everybody who, we, know, we all know lots of folks who went to Vegas and lost money. But we're also going to hear about that person who win, who went to Vegas and, and, and won a bunch of money. I was like, the odds of somebody doing that, in the market, what they did is same same odds as Vegas, right? They got lucky. And by the way, I would love to get lucky and do that, but there's like not a a sure strategy, you know, for for doing that outside of like because there's there's literally a hedge funds like Nassim Taleb, Google Nassim Taleb. He's like a super rich hedge fund manager, but the, he has an option strategy where literally they lose money for you know four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, ten years, right? They 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 made a lot of money in 08, and they lost money for the last 10, 12 years. And they made like some crazy, you know, multiple thousand percent returns in March. But their strategy is they only make money in chaos. So if there's no global chaos, they like lose a little bit of money over a long period of time, right? That's the strategy. 
because he's done it consistently through multiple chaos periods starting in 87. Right, Every chaos period, from, from what I know, they've made money, but they lose money in non-chaos periods of time. But it's a, th- it's a hard strategy to replicate because you got to be comfortable taking small losses over a long period of time. And he and his clients are really, he, he's kind of like a, he provides insurance to money managers for, you know, they say, they say, hey, give us a little bit of money so when there's chaos, you know, our quote-unquote insurance policy pays off and you may not lose as much on your own overall portfolio. But I was like, that's a strategy. I was like, for somebody to be able to do that, you know, the implication of somebody being able to do that and, do you know, turn a hundred grand to five million, you know, year in and year out, I was like, think about it. If they can do it, why would they be taking a hundred thousand dollar account? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if somebody actually had a strategy to do it, they should call on like firms like mine and say, hey, look, we got a fund. We can put your client's money in. You know, you give us $3 million, $4 million, $10 million or whatever, and we will turn your client's money into multiples and multiples of money in a short period of time, right? Everybody wins if that, if that were true because, I, A, I have the technical understanding to vet the person way better than, than the person, than, than you, who I'm, the person I was talking to. I was like, and so why wouldn't I want to do it if it was legit? I was like, the problem is it's not legit, you know? So, and of course, he thought that I just was, you know, didn't know what I was talking about. He's going to continue on that journey very likely. I hope I hope not. But the point is, investing is a is a long term game. Even if you talk to people who the successful day traders, the the one percent who actually make money day trading, it's a grind, and you have to have a. I don't want to say like because they're short term, not a long term mindset, but you got to have a boring mindset, right? You have to have a boring thought out strategy like those whatever those the Nigerian brothers or whatever I don't know if they be they're on CNBC and I don't know their returns or what they're doing but I know like they literally like were back in the day making money on the floor and people trade on the floor and they still have systems that they teach and they do all that kind of stuff but it's it's not they're not trying to make turn a hundred thousand into five million right in three weeks that's not that's not what they're doing and they're even shorter term guys right so just you know be patient because yeah just be patient Next question. Philip, what's the next Amazon? Amazon is the next Amazon. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Listen, listen, here's more of that story. Everybody's always looking for the next thing, you know, when the thing that's a... People have been saying for, like, the last five years, every year, what's the next Amazon? Amazon's the next Amazon. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Amazon is just putting retailers out of business. Like, all these bankruptcies are just, just happening. They haven't even begin right and and when i say amazon i mean i'm talking about like amazon the facebook the apples like they're they're they haven't even started dominating yet so i'm not saying i'm not recommending anybody buying those stocks i don't know your situation blah 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 blah. but my point is you don't have to look for the you know like you don't have to predict the future the the, the cool part about investing is you're more like a meteorologist like you're just checking the temperature and you're looking at consumer behavior and what's going on now like what's going on now is more people are going online. It's like podcasting. I keep telling everybody, hey, if you want to grow your business, you need to podcast. But Philip, you know, how do you know the future? Like, I don't know the future. I just know podcasts are big now. And and just like five years ago when people were telling people to get on Facebook and do Facebook videos, like it, it wasn't predicting the future. It was people were doing Facebook videos. And then the ones that did it five years ago have pretty big audiences, right? Podcasting, like it's people are doing it. And it's getting older, so do the podcasting, right? You don't have to predict. You don't have to be a rocket science, right? Just 
pay attention and stop trying to be too clever. Next question. Is it important to have liquid investments? So here's where this came. I was watching a video with the owner of my favorite team, the Houston Rockets. It was Tillman Fertitta, and he was talking about everything going on. And he was like, listen, people don't understand. Like, yeah, I'm worth a couple of billion dollars, but the billionaires I know and me, like we don't have $150 million a month of payroll to cover anything if, you know, in cash to cover thing, to, to cover payroll of thing when this happens. And, and so I thought about it for a second. And granted, like he's a better business guy than me. Like he's rich, right? Blah, 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 blah. But here's my point. My point is, I mean, you should, right? Because what ends up happening is most people, even the billionaires, they operate in this over leveraged world where they they don't have enough liquid, right? So so sure, if you if if he had more liquid, would he uh, have grown slower? Would he be a billionaire? Maybe not. Maybe he'd worth be worth three hundred million instead of whatever, a couple of billion dollars. But the point is, without the backs, without the Fed bailing them out, they would all go bust, right? And so my deal is, too many people focus on being super offensive and not focusing on saying, hey, listen, let me play a little bit of defense. Let me have some liquid money. Let me not tie everything up in illiquid investments like real estate, private businesses, and be leveraged long on this kind of stuff to where if the world melts, I don't have six months to, you know what I mean? Like six, like this is basic stuff. People in their basic finances know you should have three, six months of living expenses to pay your bills. Why not have that liquid for like your your business, it, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not a billionaire, so maybe it'll change if I ever become a billionaire. But the point is, I take the approach of I I rather have a smaller, safer net worth than a large net worth. That the only way I keep it is if central banks continue to bail, you know, the big folks out, right? Which which that runway is not long, right? And I, and if they and if they would and if they would move and stop doing it. All these folks will go bust, right? Maybe I can like put together a group and own the Rockets, right? Which, by the way, I like Tillman Fertitta. He's a good business owner, a great entrepreneur. You know, I love the Landry's collection. Like, he's a good dude. I like him. But my point is, you know, I would I would not want like when he said that, I was like, well, how does he not like how is he? He's worth two billion dollars, and he doesn't have one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred fifty million a month to cover three months of payroll or six months of payroll. You know, what I mean? like that. That to me, like. I knew that it was true, so it w- I was not surprised, but I'm glad he said it because it gave me this opportunity in the podcast to talk about this. All right, last question, next question. Philip, tell me more about today's cashless society. I, l- I had a client call me about this because, you know, there's all these things about the shortage of cash and coins and all that kind of stuff. And and so I was like, hey, listen, it's not a conspiracy, right? It's it's t- it's, it's two things going on. First one is technology. Only reason I carry cash is because my barber, who is like, you know, a great barber, but he's 48, he just refuses to take cash out. All the rest of his younger barbers, you know, would love him to do it, Apple Pay cash out, but he just, he, he old school. He's, a, you know, from a technology standpoint, and he and he wants cash. Outside of that, I never have cash, because I don't need cash, right? Between cash app, Apple Pay, you know, cash is dirty, A, and then B, it's just, it's an extra step to have to go to the drive-thru and get cash at, at the bank. Like, I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, why? Why when you don't have to? And so that's been a trend that's been happening. Like, if you if, if you know teenagers or you know people in their 20s, they don't have cash at all. Like, they just wouldn't go to that barber. And matter of fact, if if he wasn't my cousin, I would, like, just go to a barber who would, who would take cash. That's how inconvenienced I am by having to to get cash because it's not needed. It's not a conspiracy. It's the market. There's no need for cash in today's world. And so that's kind of the first thing. But then, you know, but the the implied question 
that she was asking was, hey, is the global monetary, you know, system that's dollar based and dollar dominant, is it getting ready to blow up? Probably. Right. And what does blow up mean? Just there's going to be a probably and it's a high probability that in 10 years from now, the dollar won't be the dominant currency that's that we do business in around the world. Maybe it's probably going to be a currency, but I don't think dollar dominance. I think dollar dominance, you know, if we had to give it an age, it's like a healthy 98 or really unhealthy 98 year old, but not like terminally ill, but just not good health, but maybe they can live to 105 or 115. Like, you don't know, you don't know, maybe, but it's old and unhealthy. And uh, yeah, that's just the system that we're in, right? And so I've had previous episodes where I've talked about uh, that and alternative currencies and, and, and the reason why I like Bitcoin as an idea and, you know, maybe having a world where it's multi-type monetary systems, not just the one where the U.S. dollar can bully everybody. But those are, I did plenty of podcast episodes on that. Go check them out before. I won't go back through that on this one. But yeah, that's the answer to that question. Y'all enjoy uh, your weekend. Even though this summer, I, I, I realized this week that my energy was lower than normal and I've had to do my mechanistic habits to keep my energy relatively high, like my motivational reading and my meditation and my working out, like that kind of keeps my energy high, but I've had to work harder this week. I realized, I was like, because it's July, July vacation month, you know? And so do the best you can in this time. If you're feeling the same way, we are working this weekend on doing some things with the kids that are kind of out of the norm in the house, like, you know, camping and watching their favorite movies in the house. We might get some s'mores, bake some cookies. I'm just trying to do things that are just different since we can't get to any beaches or anything, but stay positive. Y'all enjoy y'all's week. If you're interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.